0: Artistic Whispers Productions presents
1: Down from Ten A Country House Mystery Written and Performed by J. Daniel Sawyer Author contact information at www.jdsawyer.net Featuring the vocal talents of Philippa Ballantine, T. Morris Kitty Nickian, Nathan Lowell Miss Calendar
2: Nobilis
3: Reed Christiana Ellis,
1: Chris Lester, with original music by Danny Shade. This podcast contains adult language, sexual situations, and bizarre humor. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, this is Justin McCumber from the Dead Robots Society podcast. We're a podcast made by aspiring writers for aspiring writers. Find us online at www.deadrobotssociety.com. You're listening to episode 23 of Down From Ten, and this is the story so far. The seventh day passed without a rest, but not without revelations. Upon finding wax from her candle the previous night, Katie knows that whatever happened, it wasn't a dream. But the shadows are not idle. Last night, the things that move in the dark took Gerd first. Chapter 23: E-2 Midday If he hadn’t done a Rip Van Winkle on the seventh day, God might have invented curiosity on the eighth. Katie wasn’t going to wait for him to wake up. She and Sarah awoke around 10 o'clock to Gerd's bustling in the kitchen, ate together in the solarium, and formulated a plan. When the solid core oak door to Sarah's room swung inwards with a soft creak, Katie felt Sarah stiffen beside her, but only for a few seconds. She took one halting step through it, looked back at Katie, and raised her roofing hammer.
4: Come on, let's kill some cats.
1: Katie followed her in, and they closed the door behind themselves. She was glad she'd worn shoes. Aside from the glass shards on the floor on the far side of the bed, some of the snow had melted and water had flowed in through the shattered window, leaving puddles that splashed as she walked through them. The scratches in the wall at the foot of the bed, painted with the old, faded brown of Sarah's blood, hung like a pollock from her worst nightmare in front of them. Sarah approached the wall and stood before it, as if trying to stare it down. Katie came up beside her and waited. The first move had to be Sarah's. Second, third, and fourth thoughts about destroying her friend's house aside, Katie couldn't shake the feeling that no matter what they found, it would create more problems than it solved. She looked sidelong at Sarah. You sure about this? Sarah set her jaw and nodded slowly.
0: It wasn't a dream. There was something here, and it's behind this wall. You said there was a big dark thing. I can't remember a shape. I can't remember a lot. But you found your wax. You saw a dark shape, too. If I marked up this wall...
1: Katie lifted her crowbar. Let's find out. Sarah clinked her roofing hammer against Katie's crowbar like a toast, then flipped the hammer around in her grip so the hatchet blade on the backside was pointing forward. She wound up and swung. The sheetrock beneath the wallpaper dented under the sharp crack but didn't cave. She took another two good, hard whacks, opening a little hole big enough for Katie to work. Katie stepped forward and stuck her crowbar into the hole, then levered it out, pulling a large chunk of sheetrock away. Sarah hacked again, opening the hole a bit wider, enough for the light to filter into the dark places between the walls. Sarah wound up again, but Katie put her hand up. She leaned forward and looked into the gap and saw... metal. Sheet metal plating. Doubling up her coverall sleeve around her hand as a mitt, she tapped the crowbar against it. It sounded like metal, too, and thick stuff at that. Katie stepped backward, squeezed her eyes into a squint, and stared at it, trying to find any way that it made the slightest bit of sense.
0: Of all the things we could have found, I wasn't expecting that. I thought they built houses out of wood. All the ones I ever worked on were.
1: Katie had done pickup work remodeling kitchens and bathrooms since she'd started apprenticing under a contractor in high school, and never in her life had she seen a house that kept sheet metal bulkheads behind two-by-four pine studs. Sarah reached in to knock on it herself with her bare hand before Katie could stop her. The dull, tinny thuds didn't harm her, so it wasn't electrified.
0: That's not wood. This can't be right.
1: Katie dropped her hand holding the crowbar down to her side and, without thinking about it, started pacing in circles as if she could somehow get around the problem physically.
0: I helped Carol remodel the bathroom last summer. It was a normal wood house. It was not like this. Then what is this doing here? I don't know. I'll get geared.
1: Sarah tossed her hammer onto the bed and slipped out the door, leaving Katie to study the wall and try to think of any reason why Carol would have the steel put in. Of course, there wasn't any reason, which meant that either it had been here all the time, and there was some reason it wasn't in the bathrooms that Katie'd help remodel, or... The only other things Katie could think of were too ridiculous to consider seriously. And fortunately, Sarah came back into the room before she could stew over them too much.
0: And that's when we found
1: it. Sarah's finger was out like an accusation, and she followed it all the way up to the hole. Gerd followed her, examining the hole, and asked Katie... And it was not here before?
0: Not when I helped her with the remodel.
1: Katie folded her hands across her chest and continued pacing. She didn't like it one bit. It felt like they were all slipping down the rabbit hole, and as far as she knew, only two things did that to people. Drugs or a push. Had someone pushed them down? Gerd returned his attention to Sarah.
3: Please, Sarah,
1: may I have a hammer? Sarah leaned back and scooped the hammer off the bed, handing it to him. Come with me. Gaird choked up on the hammer's handle and marched out of the room, across the hall, and into his own room. Katie followed, and Sarah brought up the rear, closing the door behind them. The giant man walked straight to the exterior wall next to the window, and swung. In two swings, he'd opened up a hole big enough to get the crowbar into. He turned to Katie and, without being asked, she tossed him the crowbar. With one hand, he stuck it into the opening and pushed. The sheetrock fell away like bits of shattered cracker, and a second later, Katie heard the dull clang of the crowbar tapping on the sheet metal.
0: Is it in all of them?
1: It would be a good bet, methinks.
0: Why would Carol put metal in the walls? She wouldn't.
1: Katie locked eyes with Sarah and saw that Sarah had the same thought she'd been avoiding.
0: Then where are we?
1: Over the sizzle of butter and salt in the pan and the music on the stereo, Amos heard some thudding from upstairs, probably Katie jumping around after Sarah again. He savored the mental imagery of what they were likely getting up to, but it didn't make his mouth water half as much as the spices Adele had set him to. He dropped the last measure of peppercorns atop the pile of cumin seeds, cinnamon sticks, black cumin seeds, cardamom, and saffron into the mortar— set it down on the counter, and pressed his weight down on the marble pestle. As he ground the spices by hand per instructions, trying to ignore her other question, Adele flopped the meat onto the cutting board and proceeded with the great ritual cubing of the flesh. After a moment, she reminded him of her dangling question. So, I'm
3: waiting. What do you think?
1: What I think doesn't really matter, does it? If there was one thing Amos had learned working with academics, or doctors, or just about everybody else, it was that if one wants to live a quiet, enjoyable life, one should keep one's ears open and mouth shut. He didn't want to get stuck in the middle of a sexual psychodrama between one of his best friends and his new favorite physicist, particularly when they were stuck in the same house with him.
3: We've known each other a long time. I trust your opinion since when i didn't say i agreed with it
1: and there it was
2: no way out of it now okay then here you go i don't know him i do know you you're going to go crazy paired off with someone who has multiple partners though maybe less crazy when they're all partners you like like carol and the rest of this delightful madhouse but what do you think of him i'm jealous of what Of him and me? No. Of him. His life. He knows what he loves. It makes sense to him. And what he does is important. You write books. Bah! People aren't going to remember them. Not even the good ones. If I'm lucky, people a hundred years from now will stumble across my name in an anthology somewhere. What Kevin does makes the world go round. Experiments. Theories, discovery, people remember scientists. In the long run,
1: art doesn't matter. As if someone had summoned him with a bell, Kevin threw a large burlap bag of rice onto the counter, then backed up and slid into the kitchen on his stocking feet, arms spread wide like the last four bars of a Broadway musical, and intoned, Crawl out of your well of self-pity, my friend. All is not lost. It's not self-pity. Amos concentrated his attention on the banging from upstairs, hoping it would distract him enough that nothing in his voice, or the intensity of his grinding at the pestle, would give the lie to his words. I love what I do. I just wish I had your head for unweaving the rainbow. Every scientist... Kevin dodged out of the way as Carol pushed past him with a rice cooker in her hands. Kevin gave her a dirty look, then returned his attention to Amos and started over. Hey, every scientist needs a popularizer. You guys weave the rainbow back up behind us. We need you. Carol sidled up to Amos, set the rice sack on the counter, and bumped him with her hip as she scooped rice into the cooker pan. They quoted Heinlein on the final moon mission.
4: People go into the sciences because of science fiction writers. You do leave a legacy, even if nobody remembers you.
2: I know... We just don't get to play with all the cool toys.
1: Adele, you ready to start those? Just about. Adele made a few more cuts with her carving knife, then reached for the bowl of spices. Amos heard a heavy thump from the living room.
0: Guys! Everyone!
1: Katie's sharp voice called from just outside the door. Amos jumped around the island, dodged between Adele and Kevin, and reached the great room just in time to see Sarah vaulting down the stairs after Katie. What is it?
0: We have to talk, all of us.
1: Amos turned to the kitchen. Carol, Kevin, Adele, get in here quick! Amos heard Adele washing her hands in the sink while Kevin and Carol burst out through the doorway. When Carol saw the expression on Katie's face, she blanched. The two of them had a secret language Amos hadn't been able to crack yet. Carol approached Katie slowly.
4: What's wrong, Katie did? We're trapped. We know that.
3: No, mon
1: cherie. Gerd descended the staircase with an air of Poirot. He'd discovered something. And it wasn't good. You do not. Unless you hired someone to weld plate metal into your walls, our situation is much changed. Carol's face went blank with astonishment.
4: Wait. Hold on. What? Sarah's bedroom wall.
0: Where she attacked it in her sleep, we took it down. You did what? Behind it, there's a... a, a God, what do you call those walls on battleships?
1: Kevin leaned forward against the back of the couch. A bulkhead.
0: Yes, a bulkhead. A thick steel
4: wall.
1: Carol turned around and walked blankly away from Katie. Amos caught her as she passed him. What's this?
4: They're saying the walls are made of steel, which is ridiculous. Katie was here for the remodel last summer and we tore the walls out It's true, Carol. Behind my wall and behind Garrett's wall.
1: Carol waved her arms as if trying to push everything away so she could make people take turns.
4: Hold on. I can't keep up with this. You've been tearing out my walls. Are you insane?
3: I do not think they are your walls, my me. I do not think this is your house at all.
1: Amos took advantage of Carol's confusion to back off and lean up against the wall near the kitchen door. He needed space to watch, in case the next few minutes told him what he needed to know.
2: That's ridiculous.
0: None of us have been out of this house in nine days. We all drove here. We all know where we are. It's not a mystery. Nevertheless, Carol...
1: Katie looked at her old friend as if begging for some kind of explanation, even though there was evidently none on offer. Carol turned so she could face the whole group.
4: This is insanity. We're here.
1: She pounded the air, pointing at the ground as if she could convince the universe to conform to her will.
4: My house! I live here. I know every picture and figurine and stick of furniture down to the centimeter.
1: We are here. Amos said it with quiet assurance. Every eye in the room turned to him, and he continued.
2: I suppose the logical question is, where is here?
0: There's one way to find out.
1: The snow behind the solarium's outside door proved much more pliable than the near ice block they'd buried Jeremiah in. A good thing, too. As far as Katie was concerned, Sarah needed to be the one to figure out what was going on so she could sleep at night again, if nothing else. And if it had been frozen solid, they'd have had to send Gerd up. The dancer had been at it for almost an hour, chipping her way up a long, narrow, sloping tunnel with the sharp end of a shovel, while Katie followed behind and played bucket brigade down to Kevin at the bottom of the chute, sloughing out the loose snow behind her and trying to pack the walls well so that it wouldn't collapse. When Sarah had made it up about twenty feet, a little ways past the end of the house and above the roof in the solarium, Katie heard the unmistakable clang of metal on metal.
4: I can't get to the surface!
1: Carol ducked her head in the bottom of the tube below Katie.
4: What's the problem? There's another bulkhead up here!
1: Sarah set her shovel on the tunnel floor and slid it down to Katie, who caught it and then slid the rest of the way down herself. Carol stepped out of the way to let Katie climb out, then popped her head back in.
4: Come on back down before you freeze,
1: sweetie. Sarah slid out and hit the ground, gratefully accepting a blanket from Carol.
3: So that is all. We are trapped.
1: Carol clasped her hands behind her head and stretched, walking around in a little circle as if she could summon a spirit to tell her the solution to their mystery.
4: This doesn't make any
1: sense. Nobody's going to weld a steel cage around a house overnight to fake an avalanche. Amos was also pacing, talking mostly to himself, then stopped as if he'd been struck by an idea. I wonder... He sprang into action, picking up a shovel and stepping into the tube. He started digging down to the ground through the snow, but after just a couple feet, the depressingly familiar metal clang rang through the solarium.
2: We're not in Kansas anymore. (coughs) What?
0: That the best you can do, Mr. Ryder? We're not in Kansas anymore?
1: (laughs) Katie chuckled as Amos stepped out of the snow and closed the door behind himself. For a good couple of minutes, nobody said anything. When Sarah finally broke the silence, Katie wished she hadn't.
0: So whoever has us...
4: killed Jeremiah?
1: It looks that way.
2: So what do we do? Wait around to get killed? We can't do anything else.
4: Like hell we can't. We go to the garage, we get the blowtorch, and we cut through. What kind of torch? Propane. It'll never make a dent.
2: You'll need a settling to get through, and I didn't see any in there. God
4: damn Well, that would be because I don't have any.
2: I'd wager that even if you did, whoever locked us in here made sure to take it away before closing the lid. Speak plainly. All right. Whoever put us in here has a lot of resources. We didn't notice the switch, which means either they could kidnap us all, construct an exact, and I mean exact, replica of this house... Down to every paint scratch a mouse heard, and then managed to move us in our sleep so we didn't notice, and put all of us in the right positions, in the right beds, or somebody managed to fabricate a metal shell all the way around and under this house without us
3: hearing. Ha- it.
4: Hold on, hold on. Both of those are impossible.
2: The big steel
0: cage around us begs to differ, my dear.
3: So, we're prisoners.
0: Or rats in a maze. And they're going to come for us, one by one, until there's no one left.
1: The terror in Sarah's voice was rising again, making Katie feel suddenly like there was a slug crawling up her spine. All right. Carol put her hands on her hips.
4: Then we stick together. Everyone get their bedding. We'll set up a nest down here tonight. If they come, they'll have to get through all of us.
3: I think, Carol,
2: we should retrieve the weapons. Do you think whoever is behind this would leave us
3: with weapons?
1: I guess. Adele's eyes were darker than Katie had ever seen them.
3: That would depend on what they're studying.
1: Katie closed her eyes. Oh, shit. Gerd nodded toward the mistress of the house. Carol keeps an arsenal. Amos looked at Carol in surprise. What's in there?
4: A couple of nines, uh, 357, uh, 410, and maybe my 306. About 300 rounds between them.
0: Well then, if they're gonna come for us, we can take them. Let's break them out.
4: It's not that easy. When we were snowed in, I got worried about cabin fever. So I stuffed them all through the window into the garden shed. The shed collapsed under the weight of the snow. So we get them.
0: Assuming whoever put us here didn't take them.
4: Are you listening? We can't get to them. They're buried. If they come in tonight when we're asleep, we're screwed.
1: Sarah walked up to stand nose to nose with Carol.
0: It's the only chance we have. We've got to try.
1: Ten minutes later, Katie was burrowing into the snowbank outside Carol's spare room like an otter in the river. Gerd stood by, holding her feet steady as she pushed further down and in with her leather gloves and tossed out the occasional clump of snow behind her.
0: Okay, Gerd, pull me back.
1: Gerd obliged, wrapping his hands around her legs above the ankle and hauling her back out to stand on the desk. Katie dusted the snow off her gloves and readdressed the window. She grabbed the top of the window frame and slid down into her burrow, feet first this time, knocking a few chunks of snow loose to drop worryingly from the ceiling down onto her.
4: Wait a minute, girlie.
1: Carol hurried to the tarp-covered desk and grabbed the long-coiled hose and shoved the end toward Katie.
4: If that comes down on top of you, you're going to suffocate. Don't lose your snorkel. Got it.
1: Katie grabbed the end and wrapped it twice around her belt, then squatted down and started pitching snow into the house. It landed on the tarp with a sandy smack, and Amos cleared it off. There wasn't much to do but wait and fret over the dark creaking and shifting sounds coming from the snowbank. Carol circled the room slowly in a wide arc like a she-wolf scouting out a campsite. The last day and a half had brought out the predator in her, the ragged edge of a fretful alpha unable to keep the pack safe any longer. It was unsettling, but no more so than the other thoughts that Gerard found running half-formed through his mind. Memories of family in East Berlin, tales of the Gulag Archipelago... Thoughts of Skinner's experiments and the ill-conceived attempts throughout his life of governments east and west to program, coerce, and control their citizens with propaganda and psychological tricks. The whole world now smelled to him like a Skinnerian experiment, and he didn't like it one bit. But he couldn't help return time and again to the question of Amos who unquestionably knew how to observe, manipulate, suggest, and prod, who was always taking notes and making comments just subtle enough to go unnoticed, who didn't care to exercise power publicly because he seemed to get what he wanted, working quietly. What if his true purpose was something more devious than wishing to be given a wide berth around his pain, What if his new book was something that troubled his conscience, and that was the true source of his distress? Gerd found these thoughts bubbling up from the dark corners of his own mind, and he did not like them. He did not enjoy what they implied about their situation if he was right, and he was quite ashamed of what they said about his own nature if he was wrong. In neither case could he see a profitable course of action coming from them. He also wasn't much fond of the thought that Katie was under all that snow with only the hose for a lifeline. Fortunately, on that score at least, there was a bright spot. She seemed to be making good time. Carol gave up on her circling and came to rest next to Amos.
4: I don't like this.
1: Sarah's right. We have to try.
4: No, I'm, I mean I don't like her being down there. If that goes... I know.
1: Amos's tone was as cold as the air coming off the snow, which did not improve Garrett's confidence in the man a bit.
4: It wouldn't kill you to cut out the poker face and show some feeling.
1: You honestly think that another
2: frayed nerve will help things? You, with the psych degree?
4: I know, I know.
1: Carol closed her eyes and made a sour expression as if reproaching herself. The low rumble started at the front of the house, Like an earthquake, but only with sound. The snowbank was shifting. Gerd dove forward through the window, shouting, Kitty, get out! He grabbed for her, but she was well out of reach, and a great press of snow collapsed down on his right arm, twisting it almost backwards at the shoulder. He heard the wrenching pop and snap through his bones before the pain made it as far as his brain. When it did, its crippling, hopeless misery left him unable to do anything but whimper. He gritted his teeth and wrenched himself free of the snowbank, cradling his arm as he did so, its weight adding to the agony once it no longer had the support of the snow. Gerd stepped carefully down from the desk, where Amos took his arm and palpated it carefully. Is it broken?
3: Uh, no, I think it is just dislocated.
1: I can't feel a break. Go sit no, down.
3: we must get her out!
2: It won't do her any good if we have to pull you out of there too. I'll get her. You take care of that arm.
1: Carol and Amos appeared to be conspiring against him. Amos moved for the window while Carol dragged Gerd back and forced him down onto the small bed on the far side of the room. She rejoined Amos at the window as the writer stared studiously at the snow. Are you- Shh. Look. Amos reached his hand out, pointing at the hose where it protruded from the snow. Gerd squinted and could see it wiggling ever so slightly. After a moment, it jerked hard and started moving around in earnest. We just follow the hose and we can get to her.
4: No! We'll bring it down again!
1: Look! The hose jumped again as if Katie was tugging sharply on it. Then it fed back out as if she were pushing it back.
4: She's trying to get us to haul her
1: out. Grab hold! Carol seized the hose and gave it a light tug and was answered with a tug in return. Carol tugged sharply twice and Katie at the other end yanked twice in the same rhythm. Carol nodded to Amos, who took the hose in both hands behind her, and she called out,
4: On three. One, two, three!
1: They both hauled on the hose. It stretched, and then seemed to move maybe a foot. They eased off until it was just short of stretch taunt, and Carol counted again. One, two, three! They both strained against the hose, and it slipped, inch by inch, out of the window. Katie must have moved a good three feet. Hold on. Let's let her get a breath. Okay. Carol relaxed and counted quietly to ten.
4: Okay. Get ready.
1: She gave the hose two sharp jerks, which Katie answered in kind. One,
4: two, three.
1: Amos and Carol heaved again, and this time, after the hose broke loose of its initial resistance, it moved steadily. Don't stop! Amos grunted, and they both continued dragging hand over hand until suddenly the hose came loose and they both fell backwards under the weight of their own effort. The end of the hose popped worthlessly out of the snow. Amos rolled up to his feet, saw the dangling hose end, and jumped at the window. Shit! He thrust his unprotected arm down into the snowbank and started groping around.
2: Anything? I can feel movement.
1: I think... Yes! Amos reached his left arm back to her. Grab my arm and pull! Carol wrapped both her hands around Amos's upper arm, and they pulled. In spite of the insufferable pain in his shoulder, Gerd stuck his useless right arm into his pocket and stumbled to Amos, wrapping his left arm around the smaller man's waist, and added his weight. The extra pull was all they needed. Katie's hand broke the surface of the snow wall, followed by her head and a loud gasp for air. Her normally golden-yellow skin was nearly blue from hypothermia. Amos hurried to help her the rest of the way out as she tried to get her breathing back. Once her feet were safely on the ground, Carol pulled Katie's gloves off her and started rubbing her hands vigorously.
4: Are you okay, Katie Diz?
1: Katie nodded and hissed through her chattering teeth. Uh, 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 I think so. She attempted to take another step and her right leg buckled. Amos caught her and helped her stand again. You'd better get into a warm shower and some clean clothes before you freeze.
0: No kidding.
1: Katie pulled a weapon from her pocket, a browning 9mm by the look of it, and handed it butt-first to Carol. Here you go. She followed it with a box of ammunition from her other coat pocket. Carol accepted them both and nodded sharply to the door. Katie answered with a nod of her own and took a few faltering steps, found her footing, and shuffled out in search of a shower. Gerd looked at Carol and at the single firearm Katie had retrieved. He cocked his head slightly to one side. Well, Only one. Who holds it? Amos met his eyes, and they both looked askance at Carol. She had no answer for him either. What had been the conversation pit had become a nest of futon mattresses, sheepskins, pillows, and blankets gathered from around the house. With most of the family having fallen asleep already, Kevin sat up on the hearth, keeping watch, while Sarah lay next to Adele, her eyes boring into the missionary like two medical probes. Adele could feel the girl's terror pouring off her, and she couldn't sleep next to it. Not when she'd been that girl once, on her first mission to Rwanda. Sleeping on the floor of a shelled-out apartment building, she'd spent the whole night praying the UN peacekeepers wouldn't find her and the orphan girls she cared for, wouldn't make them their next entertainment stopover at the point of a gun. Diplomatic immunity, after all, had its privileges. It had been a long night, and there had been no one there to comfort her except in her prayers. If she could be that comfort now to someone else... Adele turned towards Sarah and propped herself up on an elbow and made a silly face. Sarah tilted her head in confusion for a moment, then crossed her eyes. Adele giggled softly so as not to wake the others. "'I'll tell you something,' she whispered to Sarah. "'I haven't done a slumber party since I was sixteen.
3: "'If
1: we're smart, we won't do much slumbering,' Kevin muttered. Adele kicked him, but it did nothing to brighten Sarah's mood. The younger woman continued to look deeply troubled, casting her gaze perpetually toward the door. Adele reached for Sarah and pulled the younger woman down to the bed, holding her like one might hold a child.' like Adele might have held one of her own children had she ever borne any. She kissed Sarah on the forehead and stroked her hair, shushing her. The fire was high from when Amos had stoked it before he lay down a half hour before, and the bodies of their friends lay breathing softly, or in Gerd's case, snoring loudly, all about them. Well, at
3: least we won't get cold tonight.
1: Adele began to relax, feeling consciousness slipping away from her by inches as she held the younger woman.
3: Adele. Huh? Huh? Sarah, let me sleep. How long had it been? We have to stay awake in case they come again. If they do, we'll all be here. They won't get us without a fight.
1: From far away, she heard Sarah's plaintive voice.
3: Don't go to sleep. I have to. I'm not 25 anymore. I can't stay up all night.
0: Don't leave me alone.
3: I'll be right here. Guard's on the other side of you. Kevin's keeping watch. He'll be fine. (sighs) I hope so.
1: There was no sound in the solarium. The generator wasn't running. After the brief power outage a week ago, With a couple of hiccups, the supply from the grid had been fairly steady and dependable. Nothing, not the echo of a snore, not the sound of a breath, not the hum of the spa pump, disturbed the stillness in the glass room beneath the snow. Nothing, until the merest patting of bare feet on tile broke it. The robed figure, fresh from its nightly rounds, walked toward the spa, stopping three feet from its edge, and bowed its head as if in prayer. Its hands, lost in the deep arms of the cloak, moved up into the cowled mouth of the robe. Had anyone else been in the room, they would have heard a guttural whisper, Kasha! As if on command, a light appeared on top of the figure's head growing for several seconds in size and intensity, until it flooded the entire solarium with a blinding brilliance. The black-clad figure, like a black hole at the bright center of a galaxy, raised its head and outstretched its arms, the cowl falling away from its face, bathing its features in unimaginable dazzling as it seemed to commune with its strange god. You've been listening to episode 23 of Down From Ten, written and performed by J. Daniel Sawyer, with original music by Danny Shade, used with permission. Starring T. Morris as Amos Maple, Philippa Ballantyne as Carol Lewis, Nathan Lowell as Garrett Falkstein, Miss Callender as Sarah Evans, Kitty Nakian as Katie Sato, Nobilis Reed as Kevin Walden, Chris Lester as Jeremiah Evans, and Christiana Ellis as Adele Suran. Some sounds courtesy the Free Sound Project at www.freesound.org. Other sounds copyright 2009, Kitty Nakian and Artistic Whispers Productions. This audiobook is recorded, edited, and mixed at Artistic Whispers Productions in Castro Valley, California. The book is copyright 2009, J. Daniel Sawyer, based on a screenplay copyright 2008, J. Daniel Sawyer. And the recording is copyright 2009, Artistic Whispers Productions. This recording is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 3.5 license, and all other rights are reserved to the author.